0: Ghost stories are not, or the idea of ghosts or the idea of the supernatural is not a new thing, it's not a new phenomenon, even though it seems right at the moment, doesn't it, as though we are kind of consumed in so many areas with stories along the the lines of ghosts and the supernatural. In fact, the, the oldest ghost story, if you like, the oldest ghost story, that we seem to be able to find recorded, was written by Pliny the Younger, who was uh, writing in the times of the Roman Empire. It had all of the the stereotypical ghost story themes, a restless corpse, rattling chains, and a beckoning finger, all of the kind of things that that make up a a great ghost story. So it's not particularly a, a new thing, but it has continuously, regularly occurred... Throughout, uh, different, um, different people groups, uh, different areas of the world, all seem to engage in, in the idea of stories about ghosts and the supernatural. One of the great writers uh, around this uh, particular theme was Shakespeare, as you, many of you would know. Uh, supernatural ab- beings occur in a quarter of Shakespeare's comedies, 60% of his plays and 60% of his tragedies, according to a guy called Hoffman. Witches appear in Macbeth, the ghost appears in Hamlet, fairies appear in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Certainly, Shakespeare knew that the supernatural engaged in st- with people with stories. It, it got them going. It was something that they found they wanted to hear, and that, that continued on. Uh, right the way through to uh, Charles Dickens, who also included stories uh, of the supernatural. The one that's probably uh, most well-known is Christmas Carol. <clears throat> Christmas Carol tells the story of uh, Jacob Marley and the ghost of, of Christmas past that comes to remind him of the past, the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas future. The ones that uh, try to help uh, Marley, Jacob Marley, get to grips with the life that he's living. It's a fascinating uh, s- story. But at the same time, these kind of stories have, have broken into mainstream now. Uh, there is a brilliant film, brilliant story. Um, some of you will have seen the film, I'm sure. It's called The Sixth Sense, stars Bruce Willis. It has got one of the most amazing twists at the end of a movie. It's just a brilliant twist but the whole of the story is based on somebody trying to come to terms with what has happened in in the in the world and different spirits and ghosts people from the past trying to engage with somebody who is living today on a different level it's a brilliant book but not particularly well-received film. Peter Jackson has just brought out a film called The Lovely Bones. The Lovely Bones was written by uh, a woman by the name of Alice Sebold. Alice Sebold wrote the story The Lovely Bones about a girl called Susie Salmon. Susie Salmon is raped and murdered. And the story is about Susie in her heaven, looking back and watching as her family and friends come to terms with the idea of her death. Uh, And Susie herself coming to terms with what has happened to her. It's fascinating, isn't it? I I guess what all of that does is it reinforces for us that there is this desperation, whether it's expressed in stories, whether it's expressed in films, there is a desperate desire to, to try to engaged to try to relate or understand or explain what is going on outside of the world that we see around us. What is, if you like, the supernatural? What is this thing which is bigger than what we see around us? <clears throat> I think it's fair to say that, that many of these stories uh, do something for us. They're aimed to try to do something for us, particularly stories like um, The Lovely Bones. Try to bring an answer, try to give us some kind of understanding. They are an outlet, aren't they, for our fears or our desires. It's an outlet for us to try to explain something that we can't understand. Maybe deal with a fear. I mean, one of the ways that we very often deal with fears is by describing taking hold of something that we are fearful of uh, and then uh, somehow controlling it. Um, It was an old uh, psychologist's technique. I don't think they would do it so much these days. It's it's perhaps... uh, have been discredited to some extent but you know you would write or draw draw a picture uh, of something in the past which which has been a problem which has been difficult you put it down on paper and then you rip it up and tear it up it's as though we we can take control of that event now to a great extent our desire to engage with supernatural stories our our desire to engage with ghosts it, it, It's very much like that for many people. It's something which subconsciously at a deeper level is outside of our understanding. So the best way to deal with it is to make it something that we can control, that we can handle, that we can deal with, that we can get uh, the rule over. And so we very rarely see stories where evil triumphs over good. We very rarely see stories where the hero doesn't finally prevail. We very, very rarely see stories where the black and the dark eventually uh, triumphs. It's a way for us to subdue and control those things which are outside of our understanding and outside of our control. So at one level... They're trying to do something uh, which we can't do uh, in our own capabilities, to tame something which we are frightened of. The problem is, as I see it, the more that stories, which, you know, stories are a great thing, uh, there are not many wolves that end up in Granny's bed and uh, and, uh, threaten to... Um, threatened to eat the little boy who's bringing the basket for girl. Was it a little girl? I don't know. Don't remember the story. A red, red Riding Hood. It's a girl. Yeah, I remember. Uh, not many, uh, not many wolves are found uh, in in bed, and Granny actually still alive in the stomach of the wolf, and it cuts open, and she pops out, and everything's wonderful again. Uh, so, in some ways, you know, stories are a great thing. Uh, the danger is that. Uh, The more that we think about stories, the more that we allow stories to inform us of what we believe, what is real, what is true, the more we end up in real difficulties. I've recently been speaking to somebody about the lovely bones. This idea of Susie Salmon, who defines her own heaven who lives in her own heaven and in fact heaven for her is what she thinks of that she enjoys and that she loves so for Susie and I'm not giving away any of the storyline here Susie loves dogs so dogs appear everywhere in Susie's heaven she, she loves a house that isn't just a box So her house is amazing in heaven and it's different uh, shape. It's not just a box. Because whatever she desires or loves, it is the definition of her heaven. Uh, And that's, in one sense, that's just great literature. The danger is that if we don't have a a, a bigger view, if we don't have a clear understanding of what is true and real uh, and what is story, All of a sudden, we can end up in a situation when we are more informed by literature, by stories. We we define what we believe to be true by stories rather than by what is bigger than stories. What is true after all? Is it possible to define? Well, we believe that one of the things that the Bible does for us is it makes it very clear. It helps us to understand about ourselves, about life, about the supernatural. It gives us a view of things which we cannot see. It helps us to explain and understand things, not fully, but at least to a level that helps us to come to terms. Is it true? Is it true that ghosts are the spirits of people gone before who are desperately trying to tell us things from the past. Is it true that Susie Salmon is actually walking around the world today, trying to watch her family as they come to terms with the grief of her murder? Uh, Is that what it is all about? I want to just for a few minutes try to explain in simple terms, what does the Bible say? about this supernatural world, this world outside of the natural, the world that is bigger than what we see. It's not going to answer all of the questions, not by any means, but hopefully what it will at least do is create a a platform on which we might want to go away and think about other areas and, and, and other issues. The first thing that the Bible makes it really clear is the supernatural world is real. <laughs> uh, we, live in a, we live in a fascinating time. We live in a generation where the humanist lobby is, is trying to persuade us that the only thing that is real, that is true, that we can rely on is the things that we can touch and see and handle. Uh, things that are observable, the things that are scientifically uh, observable. Now, some of those might be quite complex things, things beyond our understanding, but at least it's the scientifically explainable. That's the only true thing. That's the only reliable thing. It seemed as though for many years that ideal, that thought was growing and developing Uh, and becoming the platform on which the whole of humanity uh, would build its existence. But what's amazing is that as that voice has become louder and louder and louder, it seems as though there has been a strange reaction against it. Not from Christians alone, but from the world around that's saying, hang on a sec, Surely there's got to be something more. There is this enduring fascination with the other. There's something outside of us. There is a growing interest at the moment in spiritism, in the occult. Every one of the major religions of the world are growing. At a time when uh, humanism is seemingly winning the day in terms of explaining the world in which we live. At the same time, the supernatural is becoming more and more fascinating for people. People are looking more and more for something beyond. Why is that? Why is it that people are looking for something more? I, I don't know. I, I think maybe, I think maybe it might, it, it's because this actually doesn't satisfy completely. This doesn't give answers to lots of questions. This doesn't give answers to, to, to guilt uh, and responsibility uh, and the fact that uh, there is a moral order. This doesn't help us to understand that we have this deep down inside of us desperate desire that there has to be something more than the world in which we live. This supernatural natural. And the Bible says, what's what's kind of chugging away inside of you, there's got to be something more. It's true. Something more than what we see. As soon as we claim that to be a God, we believe in the supernatural. We believe that there is something outside of what we can see. We believe in a spiritual dimension. As soon as we claim that there is a God, we say there's something more than this material world. And the Bible makes that claim. Uh, The Bible makes the claim that there is a world outside of uh, of this world, a world of uh, a spirit world, a world which at time uh, engages, touches, spills into the world that we currently exist in. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 encourages us to protect ourselves by clothing ourselves in the armor of God, which it's previously explained, it's a a spiritual armor, uh, so that we can stand against the attacks uh, of the devil. Uh, In other words, this spiritual dimension does at times impinge on this world. We've got to be aware of it. We've got to be prepared to to engage with it. And we've got to be protected from it. It goes on to say, "...for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms." the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, the Bible defines that in that spiritual dimension, in that heavenly realm, in that supernatural world, there is good uh, and there is evil. There is right and there is wrong. And and we need to be protected from it. The second thing that the Bible encourages us uh, to understand is in the light of that therefore in the light of the existence of this spiritual world outside of of us who are we i think that i think understanding who we are as individuals as people is the key question to coming to terms with this whole issue of Ghosts, their existence, what it means, all of that kind of thing. If we understand who we are, it answers lots of questions. Romans chapter 8, if you've got a Bible at home, go home tonight and read it. Romans chapter 8 explains to us that we are body and spirit. We exist as two elements. We can't, see our spirit we can see our bodies we go we know more about our bodies than the whole of humanity has ever known we understand our bodies but we also because of that deep nagging question we also have inklings that there is more than just body there is more than chemical and electrical reactions there is a spirit there is something which is desiring, desperately wanting to live beyond. It's why we have all of these questions about life after death and what happens, because we are more than just a body. But we are designed for body and spirit to be together. In fact, the Bible also makes it clear uh, what it is to die. What what is it for for us to die? The Bible makes it clear is that... um, in James chapter 2, it says the body without the spirit is dead. When they separate, when the spirit leaves the body, we do die. That, that's the, that is the end in this world, but it's not the end. Because our spirit might leave our body, but our spirit lives on. Jesus made it clear. Je- Jesus said uh, to somebody who was dying alongside him, Today you will be with me in paradise. He made that claim. And you think, well, hang on a sec. If I read the history, I read that Jesus was on the cross. I read read that uh, two criminals were uh, on crosses alongside of him. One died. Well, they all three died. But to one he said, you will be with me in paradise. At the end of the day, the Roman soldiers came around and they broke the legs of the two criminals because they were still alive and the Jews had made a request that there should be nobody still alive on a cross because tomorrow is Passover day, a Jewish feast. Pilate granted the request. The legs were broken, but Jesus' legs weren't broken. Those two men alongside Jesus died and yet Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. How? Because Jesus is saying, yes, you are body and you are spirit, but your spirit will be with me. Your spirit will be with me. Your spirit will not be uh, floating around. Your spirit will not be given the freedom and the liberty to, to wander around. Your spirit will not be granted that kind of ghostly ability to appear and disappear and come back uh, and try to communicate. Your spirit will be either be bound, separated from God, or your spirit will be with me. We've got to wonder, so you see how, how straight away, if we begin to understand that, yes, there's a spiritual dimension, that our spirits are either with God when we die, or separated from God, bound and separated from God, then, then we see that uh, there is a kind of a clarity. Is there a spiritual dimension? Yes. Are there evil forces? Yes. Are there evil forces who might even try to persuade us and present themselves uh, as, as people who we have known from the past? Well, yes, maybe. Uh, but it's not the spirits of the people who've gone before. It is a reality of a spiritual dimension in which we are battling. Oh yes, there are spirits. We have a spirit. There are evil spirits. Uh, there are, therefore, those who might, as Satan has described, lie to us about their existence. During the time, in fact, we're going to look at it in, now as we come to a, a, a quick reading which we're going to be looking at. During um, Jesus' time when he was here, he came to this place called uh, the Gasserines. And uh, when he came into this, he landed on the shore and, and there was a man that we see there, uh, a man who, with an evil spirit who was living in the tombs. It's fascinating, isn't it? That even uh, in that day, 2,000 years ago, there is somehow a connection with evil and death. And this man was living amongst the tombs. Uh, and nobody could bind him, he was, he was uncontrollable, and uh, there is that spiritual kind of possession that this man has come under. We don't see it so much in this country, but there are places where there is such an intense uh, occultic activity where possession is not uh, uncommon. It's not common, but it is seen. Uh, it is true that there is the possibility of being so mixed up with evil that, that this man, as we see him here, is, is kind of possessed. And Jesus comes to him as he approaches him. In fact, this, this particular bit is, is just giving a description. Nobody could control him. He, he was terrifying to people. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself uh, with stones. He is this rampaging, possessed man. Jesus comes to him, and look what happens when Jesus comes to this man, right on that final verse that we have on the screen there. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Isn't that amazing? In, it is amazing in the light of what we see before. A man who is out of control, who nobody could control, who would break chains. And yet when Jesus comes to him, he runs down to him and he falls on his knees. Hmm, Let's flick over and see uh, what's going on. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. I mentioned earlier that there are times, there are moments where the spiritual dimension spills into the natural world. It's kind of like a gateway where something that we don't normally see opens up and we see something. We see something here. Everybody who was in that town saw a man who was crazy who was uncontrollable. But the spirit that possessed the man when Jesus came into his presence, that straight away there's that doorway, that window into the spirit world because we see that the spirit, the evil spirit, recognizes Jesus straight away. Humanity, people like you and me, saw two men one running out of a tomb and kneeling in front of Jesus, and everybody else saw this other man who was this strange teacher who was doing amazing things. But the spirit world, this supernatural world, saw something else going on at that moment in time. This supernatural world saw the spirit that was possessing this man confronted by the spirit of the Son of God. This was God, who all of the spirits know in Jesus. And so straight away, this spirit comes and causes the man to fall down and is terrified of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Come out of the man. Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied for we are many and he begged jesus and again and again not to send them out of the area not to send them out of the area what opens up now is that this man is not possessed by one spirit but by many spirits He's possessed by many spirits but all of those spirits even when they're combined even when they seem to be there on mass <laughs> still have to bow in front of jesus still are subservient to Jesus, still have to do precisely what Jesus says. They're begging him, don't banish us, don't send us out. There's this next little bit, which for us does, seems really strange. Uh, it seems, you know, um, why kill a load of pigs? <laughs> because Jesus says, okay, a large herd of pigs the demons say, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep lake, into, uh, steep, <laughs> steep bank into the lake and drowned. So here's Jesus. He gives them permission to go into the pigs. They can't do anything. They can't do anything except Jesus gives them permission. He gives them permission to go out of the man, these many spirits, to enter into the pigs, uh, and the pigs go crazy, it now seems, and run down the hill and are drowned. A little window. For us who read this, we think it's somewhat strange. But if you were a Jew of the time, uh, you would have known that pigs as is still the case for Jews, are unclean animals. Something to be separated from. Something to be shunned and kept away. Jesus is outside of his own country at this point. There's a herd of pigs. In other words, the picture, this great big picture that Jesus is allowing to be portrayed is that the evil will be pushed away to the unclean and will be separated from me. This isn't an anti- pig thing this isn't something for the rspca to get wound up about it's a bigger picture it's a picture of the fact that that god is saying in jesus evil cannot come close to me evil will be pushed away from me it will be separated from me i will consider it unclean and i will govern it control it it can do nothing outside of my hand outside of my word, outside of my permission. But it can't come close to me. We find now that as we flick on, we find that the man uh, is then calm, is relaxed. They came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The people who heard this reported, this man who has been crazy for many years is now calm and balanced, talking to Jesus, clothed. In other words, Jesus has the authority, and the only one who has the authority, it would seem clearly, over this evil force. Yes, there's a window here into a spiritual dimension. It's a window which helps us to see, yes, there is a spiritual dimension. We understand now that we as human beings are not just body, not just a physical being, we have a supernatural dimension as well. That because Jesus says to the thief who was alongside him on the cross, you will be with me, you will not be bound and separated, which is what he also says is the destiny of souls that have been rebellious against god for all of their lives god says you will be with me so we now know that the spiritual dimension is not populated by spirits of the dead that gives us at least one answer about ghosts doesn't it it's not the populated by spirits of the dead it might be populated by spirits who might want to convince us that they're spirits of the dead That's not what the Bible says, but it does say that there is a real, absolute spiritual dimension. The thing that I think is key is if if all of our stories, if all of our supernatural stories are continually trying to convince us that somehow we can control this, somehow good can prevail, somehow there is... Something bigger than us that we can order and manage? Is it true? Well, we see here from this story that there are times when it's not true. There are times when the supernatural world is powerful than all of the town people. The supernatural world is outside. It's bigger than us. But actually, the supernatural world is ultimately under the authority of one. It's not as though there is this equal battle. You remember the, um, the famous uh, Christa Berg song, um, Spanish Train, uh, where he talks about uh, the g- God and the devil playing cards all- over the soul of a man. You know, that kind of idea I- is what many people think the battle of good and evil is all about, as though there's this equal battle between God and evil forces as though there's some sort of battle going on in the spiritual world and it's all a bit equal and we'll see how it plays out and at the end of the day, God will win so many and the devil will win so many and it will all be quits and over, the end of the card game. Actually, what we see here is nothing could be further from the truth. There is no equality. There is authority. Jesus has absolute authority. There is nothing that the evil forces could do without his permission. They couldn't leave the man without his permission. But they did leave the man when he gave them permission to go elsewhere. There's another section in the book of Job you might want to read it, chapter 1, where God demands that Satan comes and gives an account. So even the archangel Satan, even the worst offender of the spiritual world is still accountable to God. He has to give an account. And then God sets the boundaries of what he can and cannot do. If there is a spiritual world, a world outside of our visibility, a world outside of our control, the one thing that I want, and I would encourage you, is we need to know that we are in the hands of the one who has authority over it we know that we are safe we need to know that we are safe and secure in the one who gives permission and sets boundaries the amazing thing is that that one who gives permission and sets boundaries is not distant is not hidden from us but actually more than spilled into the natural world he decided to come into the natural world. He decided to make the one tangible, clear link between the supernatural world and the natural world. It's Jesus himself. You see how Jesus becomes the key to the supernatural world. He is the only one who has ever clearly, tangibly come into this world. If he is who he claims to be, the son of the living God who has come into this world. It shows us that he has authority over both the supernatural world and the natural world he has therefore authority over you and me he demands that we follow him he demands that we repent he demands that we obey him and ultimately we say i fail and then he says i love you enough to have died for you i love you enough to conquer the fears to conquer the defeats And for you to live in me. Because the supernatural world does live on forever. It's not a passing thing. Our lives are not a temporary buzz on this world that gets snubbed out. Our souls live forever. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but loses his own soul? If that is our most precious commodity, and yet so many of us fritter it away, we disregard it, we consider it something light and frivolous, we pretend that the supernatural world can be controlled and contained within stories, and yet at the same time, deep down, we still fear, don't we?